Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Craft sanity, craft sanity, art and craft creativity, interviews with people who make, they are here to help keep you sane. Craft sanity, craft sanity, craft sanity. Hello and welcome to episode 212. I'm really excited to bring you a conversation with Sandra Ng. Sandra has a really unique perspective to share because she is both a practicing psychologist and a crochet designer. So she knows the healing powers of craft firsthand because she does this herself. She's addicted to it just like us. And (laughs) she also sees patients and understands fully that the struggles that many people are dealing with today. So her perspective is very interesting on this topic. On this episode, we're going to talk about her new book, Crochet Kaleidoscope, Shifting Shapes and Shading Across 100 Motifs. We're also going to talk about the role that handcraft plays as a means of coping with stress and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And we're also going to talk about the Facebook group that Sandra hosts with the aim of helping crocheters build community, get inspired, and discuss ways that crochet and other crafts can help keep us sane. So grab a project, settle in, and we'll get to it. Sandra, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you. I got a chance to page through a review copy of your book on my iPad, and it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. So congratulations on your book. And why don't you tell the listeners what it's called and what's in it? Sure. The book is called um, Crochet Kaleidoscope, and it's basically um, a collection of 100 different motifs worked up in different color combinations in order to sort of highlight how you can use color to really change the appearance of, uh, of a motif. Um, and in addition, there are five projects made from some of the motifs in the book. Um, there's a blanket, a table runner, a cushion, uh, a rug, and also a shawl. So it's a jam-packed book. I, there's a lot of craft books out there, and some of them have a ton of projects and a lot of, they're very satisfying. They're the kind of books mm-hmm. you want to keep on your shelf. And this is one of those books that meets my threshold very easily of a book you want to keep on your shelf. And uh, so congratulations. It really is beautiful. And there's so much in it. So the, the investment in this book is well worth it. So I, I think it's fantastic that you've put this together. I can't even begin to imagine how long it took to, to do all the work for this. How much time did you work on this? I was actually on a, for me, a tight deadline. Um, when the publisher reached out to me to look into doing this project, um, they wanted me to have all of the work completed within six months. Oh, my word. And so somehow I made that happen, you know, missing out on some sleep along the way. Oh, but my goodness. Yeah. So it was a crowded process. And you have a day job. So this I is, do. yes. And um, can you talk a little bit about, let's, let's explain to people um, that you are not craft, you're not working on craft books full time. So that kind of is, makes this all the more impressive that you were able to get it done that quickly <laughs> while maintaining a career. And so what do you do for a living? 
Um, I work as a licensed psychologist, um, and I've been doing that for the past decade or so. I have a small private practice, and that's really just uh, owned by me. Um, I work with adult patients on you know, issues ranging from depression and anxiety to relationship concerns. Um, and I also work with a small subset of people who uh, have a trauma history as well. Did you work with somebody else or at another practice before you started your own? I worked uh, at a college counseling center okay, uh, and also in a hospital setting before I started my own practice. Okay. And so does your crafting inform your work sometimes? I mean, do you recommend it to people? I do not specifically in the form of recommending crochet because I recognize <laughs> that not everybody shares that passion. Um, but I do certainly uh, encourage people to engage in things that they're passionate about, um, especially things that uh, are tangible, things that you can put work into and have a finished product at the end. There's a lot to be said for both the experience of, of mastery and um, completion that can really help a lot of people to to feel better in their day-to-day lives. I'd love to kind of retrace your creative roots and hear a little bit about how you came to become someone who is making beautiful books about crochet uh, and just kind of how you got into it. And I'm curious about whether or not you do other uh, art and craft um, activities as well. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, early in life, I never really thought of myself as a, a creative person. Um, I've had sort of a winding path through careers. I actually started off um, as a high school physics teacher. So, oh, wow, that is different. Jumped around a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. way different. And that's fascinating, though. So how long did you do that? That was a very short lived career. I found out soon enough that I was way too introverted to deal with 30 high school kids at a time. Um, and that's sort of what prompted me to go back to grad school to study psychology. Um, I found that I really enjoyed working with people one-on-one. -on -one, and so uh, it seemed like a sort of logical next step. Yeah. So at what point in your life did you become a licensed psychologist? So how old well, were you when that career launched? I was in my early 30s. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I said, I did stick with teaching with teaching for too long. Um, yeah. And it probably, how many years does it take to become licensed? Cause it's not a quick turnaround. You have quite a few years of school, correct? Quite a few years of school. Yeah. So I did a master's degree first, which took two years um, and then went on to get a PhD, which took me six years, which is a little longer than average um, because I ended up having my first child in the middle of the process. And so that slowed things down a little bit. Were you crocheting during this time too? Yeah. So i I first started crocheting shortly after my son, my first child, was born. I joke sometimes that it feels like my crafting gene was sort of turned on after I became a mom. Like I had this drive to make things and create things that hadn't been there before. And so around that time, I asked my mom, who's a, an extraordinary crafter, to teach me some things. She first tried to teach me how to knit, and I was just hopelessly clumsy with two needles, but I found that crochet was something that I could really kind of get into a lot more quickly. Um, and so I started off making like small amigurumi toys for my son. Oh yeah, those are fun. And did that for a while, you know, just sort of as a hobby. Um, and then I really got away from crochet for a while. So this was initially about, my son is 11, so it puts a, a time frame on things. Um, but I got busy with my career. I got busy with trying to build a 
my practice. Um, and so it hasn't, it wasn't until about three years ago that I really got back into crochet. And at that time in my life, there was, you know, I had more free time than I had had before. Um, I had my second child, my daughter. She was about three, I think, when I got back into crocheting. So it felt like life had gotten to a place where it had settled down a little bit and I had some more time. And I just happened to start engaging more in uh, Instagram at that time. Had no idea about what hashtags were or about <laughs> you know, how, to, how to find other people. Um, and so finding that out, finding that I could connect with other like-minded people and sort of geek out on this craft that none of my friends in real life engage in, um, it felt like it just opened up this whole new world. And I started meeting people from all over the world and trading ideas and photos, obviously. And things just kind of took off from there. Uh, I think I'm fortunate that I didn't have to put a lot of work into it up front and have had some sort of serendipitous things come my way in terms of opportunities. And so I feel really fortunate in that regard. Oh, that's awesome. So it was really through Instagram that you feel like, you know, you were able to really dive into the big wide world of international crochet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was not something I ever set out to do. And if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, if you if I would be a crochet designer, I would have sort of laughed and, you know, went about my day. Well, your Instagram feed is gorgeous. I mean, the photos are beautiful and the things you're making are really eye catching because you have quite a few people. You're pushing like 80,000, you know, up at 70, 79. Yeah, 79,000. Yeah. That's really awesome. And how long did that take you to build that following? It took me about three years and it was slow, you know, at the beginning. And then, like I said, opportunities kind of have been coming my way and, and things take off from there. Was there one day in particular where your feed kind of exploded or one something that people really, really resonated with? Because I know you do a lot of these awesome uh, Mobius designs, alas, um, mm -hmm. your name on Instagram, mm -hmm. Mobius Girl. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is that the, is the Mobius the thing that really attracts people to, to follow you? The feedback that I get a lot is people like my use of color um, and they like I did a lot of designing of mandalas. I've also contributed uh, 20 mandala patterns to another book by Interweave, published by Interweave called Modern Crochet Mandalas. And that's actually the word I was looking for. I said Mobius, but I meant, oh, I, I, yeah. I meant, yeah, because the circular patterns that you're doing, that's what I meant. So I misspoke, but yes, um, and, and you're prolific with those. I know that's what attracted me when I saw those on your feed. I was like, oh, wow. This is gorgeous. And so you contributed 20 patterns to what, what is the name of the book? Uh, it's called Modern Crochet Mandalas. It was published last year. And so that was kind of one of your launch pads then for your for this collection of work that you're doing. Yeah, exactly. That was, um, again, Interweave had reached out to me to see about contributing to that book and then created all of those patterns. And then they came back later and proposed this, uh, the Crochet Kaleidoscope project to me. And how many, how many um, patterns, that first book you contributed 20 patterns to, how many patterns mm -hmm. are in the book? Because that's a lot of patterns to contribute to a book is. that you're not writing There's, yourself. So it must be a huge book. Yeah, I think there are more than 50 patterns in it, 50 okay. different mandalas. Wow, that's, you did a lot, though. That's awesome. So you're, you were not um, a lightweight on that book. Yeah, I mean, that was a major contribution. That's awesome. Yeah, I felt really good about it. 
so did it become, uh, you, you said you were, started communicating with people from all around, uh, the world. Uh, did it get to the point where it became more time consuming for you? Cause when you have that many people following you, do you get a lot of people who start dialogues with you and ask you questions? Is it manageable still to communicate with your audience? I've had to cut back a little bit, um, just in terms of needing to juggle all of the other things in my life. But for the most part, um, it has been manageable to, to keep in contact with everybody. I've, I've developed sort of a core group of friends um, on Instagram who I stay in touch with regularly. And that's how I get a lot of my sort of crochet socialization these days. Because as you said, the people in your actual day-to-day life are not crocheters. They are not. I have two <laughs> who are knitters. And um, one of my friends does crochet, but she's she's more of a knitter. And she's adamant that uh, she only likes neutral colors. And so we're, we're kind of on different planets in that oh, regard. Oh, that's funny. Yeah you're, yeah, you're into all the colors. I and am. I, um, yeah, I was going to ask you if you have a favorite palette. But as I'm scrolling through... It looks like you like all the palettes, um, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. is great. Yeah, I couldn't pick one palette either. I mean, I really love to use as many colors as I can. So, um, but do you have a favorite, I mean, a, sch- a color scheme that you seem to always go back to or a, a color that you try to work in as much as possible? Yeah, I mean, shades of blue will always kind of have my heart as far as favorites go. Um, but I do try to sort of push myself out of like color comfort zone. Um, and I had to do that a lot with personal kaleidoscope. If I, you know, if I could have, I, I probably would have used a similar palette for all of them. But of course, the point of the book was to look at, again, how different color uh, influences the the look of different motifs. And so I had to dig deep and um, try out some new things. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to share about your when you got back into crocheting. It was just kind of that time. I know when my youngest was three what happens at that point? Is there, every, people are able to go to the bathroom by themselves. They're able to, you know, do some very, yes. ba- you know, they can, they're independent to the point where you're not, you know, watching every single second to make sure they're not putting something in their mouth. By that point, they kind of understand what's food, what's not food, you know, and Ooh, it's, right. it's less dangerous to leave the room for two minutes. So, um, so you got to that point where you could, you know, you had a little more, you know, t- just mental space too. I know, um, that was, I know how I, I felt when my ch- children got to the point where they could just be, you know, a little more independent. So at that point, it sounds like you weren't really thinking like, oh, I think I'm going to write a crochet book at some point and, cr- and contribute to other people's crochet books. Or was that something you did aspire to? Did you have any idea that this would be your life? No, I had no idea. The way that I got back into it was, um, again, like I said, I connected with people on Instagram and I sort of got this itch to crochet an Afghan. And so that was my first sort of big project to, to get me back into the swing of things with crochet. Um, and then I made another Afghan and then I was finding scarf patterns that I liked. And um, I'm a serial collector of patterns, you know, which I would probably need six lifetimes to crochet all of them. But... Yeah, I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think we all are to some extent. Um but no, I had no aspirations at that time of sort of going toward a more professional route with crochet. It was really just a hobby. And just at that time, it was really kind of a nice counterpoint also to my day job, you know, in the sense that 
it was a way to unwind. It was relaxing. Um, it was something that was not mentally taxing at all. Uh, and like I said, you know, what I say to some of my patients is that it, it is really nice to have something that you can unwind with, something that's very tangible. The work that I do as a psychologist, um, you know, it's it can be very abstract or it can be really sort of, um, you know, difficult to measure how things are uh, changing. People change in, in different ways. And so to be able to go home and, you know, have this very concrete task in front of me at the end of which I have something pretty to look at or, you know, to cozy up on, cozy up with on the couch uh, was a really helpful um, thing for me to engage in at that time. And it's awesome that you're in a position to um, bring some of that just firsthand knowledge of what doing work with your hands can do to relax. Do people ask you or do they even have any idea that you're designing these, you know, you're like a prolific designer. Do they have any idea when they come in? I don't know if you have some of your work around your office or is this completely separate from your practice? I do have um, some work in my office. You know, I have some um, mandalas that I've mounted on canvases and have hanging up on the walls. So sometimes that's an entry point. You know, patients will ask me about it. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty separate. You know, it's not, I'm not putting forth the idea that I have this other career on the side. <laughs> right. right. Um, kind of takes away from the focus of what I'm trying to it do. It could be a little moment. confusing to them too. They're like, is she trying to sell me some mandala? Yes. Like what's going on? Um, right. <laughs> but uh, so for those, I mean, have you had anybody that you have recommended that they take up some kind of hobby? Does it come up at all? It does. And, and I think it's something that people are seeking also. Um, you know, a lot of what I do in therapy, I think of as you know, sort of helping people to find lives that they find meaningful. And hobbies, of course, play a big role in that, um, especially, you know, if you're sort of stuck in a job that doesn't feel particularly fulfilling. I think sometimes it really helps to have uh, a different outlet to kind of pour some of your energy and passion into. But I'm curious about how you started to make those. Like what inspired you to start doing these really intricate circular designs? I think my background in physics and math actually had some influence on that. I've always been interested in geometry, like in, in terms of design. Those are the kinds of patterns that I'm really drawn to. And so there's something about the, the repetition and the um, symmetry of mandalas that really sort of resonated for me. I first started making them one, there was a, a year of uh, the, the yarn festival, Yarndale in, in the UK, where um, Lucy from Attic 24 was collecting mandalas to uh, display and had, you know, collected hundreds of them by the time the yarn festival happened. And there was something about just seeing all of those in a group, seeing all of the colors and the designs and the um, patterns that really kind of got me excited. And so I, I sought out some patterns and started making some of those. And then I got kind of hooked into overlay crochet. And there are some really beautiful mandala patterns worked up in overlay crochet that, you know, really kind of challenged my brain in a way, um, in terms of spatially how things fit together. And so I, I just appreciated that that mix of creativity, but also sort of, of um, geometry and uh, mental challenge. 
And so did you know how to do, like how to write patterns at that point? Or, I mean, does, is this something no. that you learned as you went? It's something I learned as I went. And that also relates back kind of to the, the math piece of it or the, the geometric piece of it is it's kind of a puzzle for me designing. You know, you need to figure out how many stitches and what kinds of stitches fit within a certain spatial area in order to, you know, do the thing that you want it to do. And so I think that was part of the the fun of it for me was figuring out what are what are some of these patterns? What are some of the ways that I can put these stitches together and get the look that I'm going for? Do you write things out or do you use a computer program? Um, I'm very much a trial and error designer. And so I will be basically just working with my hook and then when I'm disciplined about it, writing things down as I'm going. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's just a, a trial and error process. And I think my background, you know, the science background, the math background, if anything helped me help to shape how I see the world, I see things kind of broken down into their component pieces and then it really is like a puzzle. You know, how do you put these back together to get this, to get this whole. So did you have fun putting this together? I really did. I mean, it was certainly stressful at times. Well, yeah, when you have six months, and I, people it might not realize right. that, you had six months to do this entire <laughs> yeah. this entire thing, which is yeah. usually people have a year. You know, it's, yeah, you, I'm not sure why the timeline was so <laughs> tight. But in a way, you know, I could have stretched it out into a year and I don't know that it would be all that different. So, yeah. So you just kind of got it out there. And uh, so how you finished this, when did you finish it? I mean, how did you have to wait less time then to get a book in your hands? Was it faster than the process normally? No, um, actually, I finished all of these designs last April. And so it it's funny, it feels a little surreal now for the book to come out because I've been so separated from that process. Right. It was like something you did in a past life, you know, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what was it like when the book arrived? Oh, it was like Christmas and my birthday, like all wrapped up into one, you know, just, um, there was something kind of magical about having this physical item that holding in my hands that was this you know just sort of um portfolio of a way in a way of all of my work yeah yeah I was so happy with the way the photography turned out I think Interweave did a great job with that um and so that it was fun to see that part too like once I passed off the patterns um and the samples to see what they did with them in terms of of photographing them and sort of staging them um, and then just the, the graphic design in the book uh, really, I think, complements the, the crochet. As I scroll through, it looks like most of the designs are contained to one page. So you don't have to do a lot of flipping between pages uh, to get your motif done, which is cool as well. There are a couple that are longer, but it's it makes it just really it's not intimidating because people might see something that looks really complex and be like, oh, no it goes on for seven pages. These are, these are like little, they're manageable. And mm -hmm. so was that something that you were consciously working on with your editors too, just to make sure that you could give people some inspiration, but keep it so people could really grasp it and try to do all 100 instead of freaking yeah. out over one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it that way. I guess I never 
I hadn't thought too much about the length of the patterns, but in a way, the motifs are sort of like snack size crochet. You know, you can pick one up, and finish a motif in an hour um, or less, and then kind of go from there in terms of planning out a project or, or getting a sense about what you want to do with it. I did, in writing the book, try to um, cover a broad range of skill levels. So there are some that are geared towards beginners and some that are far more advanced. And so in that regard, that was the piece that I was mindful of in terms of uh, how complex I wanted the patterns to be. It's, it almost seems un unbelievable to me that after 100 motifs, you still had the energy for projects <laughs> at the end, yeah, um, yeah. which is cool. So um, the pro and t talk a little bit about the projects in the book that you've um, included. Like I said earlier, there are five different projects, uh, a blanket, a cushion, um, a table runner, a rug, and a shawl. And what I like about the projects is that, again, I'm using the same motifs or some of the motifs uh, from the book to make the projects, but in very different using different kinds of yarn, using different color combinations. And so again, it really just broadens um, the idea of what you can do with these motifs. Um, like the rug, for example, I made out of t-shirt yarn. And so each motif, uh, you know, the samples that I made from yarn were probably four inches and the t-shirt yarn motifs were probably almost nine or 10 inches for the same motif. So it was kind of fun just to see how changing up yarn type and um, size could really change the, the appearance of the motifs also. Um, I think the, my favorite project out of all of them is the cushion I made. Um, it's two-sided and uh, uses the same motif on both sides, but in different color combinations and in different um, configurations. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to, to describe a visual thing, but it's very colorful. And, um, you know, it's one that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about also. Yeah, it looks really fun to make. Like, extremely yeah, yeah. fun to make. It's not difficult, but the I think the end result looks kind of cool. When you're making something, whether it's a cushion or anything, do you just make a big stack of motifs and connect them later? Or do you like to connect things as you go? It really depends on the motif. Um, there are a bunch in the book that I designed to be a join as you go because um, I'll like confess right now that joining is not one of my favorite things to do. After yeah, the bat. I don't really like joining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I like how it looks, but the process of it not so much. Yeah, because you have so um, much work to do once you're done with all the fun motifs. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I do like. I do like. Like I said, the look of both. Um, so some are designed to be joined as you go. But like you said, it's great to have portable projects sometimes. And mm -hmm. so you can just throw a couple of skeins of yarn in your bag and work on a stack of motifs instead of having to lug around an entire um, afghan. Oh, yeah, because you can't really be discreet about what you're doing either. Like if, <laughs> if you have a limited space and, you know, you're you get a big afghan out people might be like oh wow is she moving in like what's going on here for the book like what was your um what was the what did you enjoy the most about putting this together and i know you were under such a time crunch um that it you might i mean when you're when you're on a timeline like that it's sometimes there's challenges just with getting things done on time so you can't really be like wow i just love like skip through a a field of flowers in the middle of designing something <laughs> just to enjoy and soak it up i mean obviously that's not um, 
probably we didn't have time for that kind of thing. But what did you, what did you find that you really enjoyed the most about putting together a, a book like this? That's actually a tough question. Um, I was, and I was thinking as you were, as you were talking, and I think more than the um, end results, more than the process of choosing colors or choosing stitches, I think what I liked the best was how the process evolved over time. So I started off with some pretty simple designs, and then those spawned ideas for other designs. Um, and I really kind of became a lot more proficient over the process of it in terms of knowing what I wanted to make and then having the image in my head match what I came out with. And so it was fun to feel like I could, I was growing as a designer through that process just by being able to much more uh, easily go through this translation process of sort of vision to finished product. Did you get to do whatever you wanted as far as designs went or did you have to run them past editors for approval? I ran a few samples by them uh, at the beginning. And then I think once they had a sense that I was on the same track that they thought I should be on, um, I had free reign after that. That's awesome. And did mm -hmm. you end up creating more than 100? Or did oh, you just... for sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there I have piles and piles of discarded motifs and um, sort of in the shame corner of my crafting space that uh, that I went through during the design process. And what, what would constitute a reject? What would be something it just didn't work or you didn't, it just wasn't, you know, didn't inspire you to complete it or how did you decide what was going in and what wasn't going in? I think there were a couple of different factors. Some of the, the rejected ones were just a little too similar to ones that I had already designed. And sometimes, you know, I sort of liked how it was, working up, but then the end product just didn't quite feel right. Um, I was also aiming obviously for variety in the types of shapes. And so I'm really drawn to designing squares and hexagons. And as it turns out, the other shapes are more of a challenge for me. And so uh, in the final cut, I probably cut out some of the squares uh, in favor of other shapes just to balance it out. I don't know if there's anything else about your book that you want listeners to know before we shift to um, a, another topic. One thing I do want to point out about the book that I think that sets it apart maybe from some others is that I do include a guide on how to choose colors for projects. And um, I do get that question all the time is how do you choose, how do you come up with these colors? Um, in the process of it, I had to sort of work backwards. I am drawn to particular color combinations in a more intuitive sense and didn't really have a method behind all of it. Um, and so it was kind of fun to work backwards and really piece apart, well, how do I choose colors and why do these particular combinations appeal to me and how do I translate it, that into something that can be more of a method for people to follow? What I would love to do is kind of shift back to um, talking a little bit about the whole concept of uh, art and craft, um, particularly handcraft, these portable things, you know, projects we can throw in our bags and how this practice of being able to make something tangible Especially, you know, and I, I make things in good times and bad. So like if I'm trying to celebrate the birth of a child or somebody's birthday or a Christmas present or, you know, for all those good things, I like to make handmade gifts. Um, but then I find that I also will gravitate toward my handcraft when things are stressful and the world feels like it's a little bit out of control. And I feel like, man, I'm not sure what to do right now. 
and the, you know, and the large, to solve a world problem or even a personal issue, being able to kind of ground myself with working on a project always makes me feel better. I've never had a time where I felt worse after working on a project. And is that something that as you prepare to, to study to earn your PhD in your field and start your own practice, was this something that came up in your in your education to prepare yourself to work with the public as a psychologist? Is this something that comes up in, in school? Or is this something that you just know from experience? I think it's, it's mostly stuff that I've picked up over time. Um, you know, in the mental health field, I, I see several ways of, of there being overlap with between craft and, and mental health. And like you said, I think in good times, it sort of reinforces that feeling. And in more difficult times, it can be very grounding for a lot of people um, or just sort of a, a way to keep yourself occupied so that you don't end up kind of spiraling off into some some darker places. Um so no, there wasn't anything super formal in my training as far as, you know, how do you how do you use crafting or how do you use art, you know, as a means for supporting mental health. But there have just been little bits and pieces that I've picked up over time. I think one thing people, you know, sort of uh complain about the evils of social media. Um and for me my experience has actually been the opposite. And I think one of the more uh, important pieces about using craft, at, at least that's been helpful for me, is really in terms of not feeling isolated. Um, so like I said, being able to connect with people from all over the world and and have an instant way of communicating with each other, you know, it sort of gets past the barriers of small talk, you know, because you can just dive in to talk about a project. And so I think beyond the crafting itself, having that um, kind of connection and support from a community can really make a big difference in, um, you know, helping people to feel less depressed and less and less anxious. It's interesting to me that you used to work, um, you mentioned earlier that you used to work um, on a college campus. And I definitely have noticed in just the six, last six years that students seem to be more anxious. People seem to be struggling to, I don't know, uh, I feel like basic coping skills with just some of the minor bumps of life. And I don't know if given your experience on the college campus and then your, I mean, your professional training and then what you know about art and craft. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think that there's a need now to maybe not just say welcome to campus, um, but maybe welcome to campus and here's a, a, a little, um, you know, intro class to kind of help you find a hobby <laughs> to, to take on for the rest of your life? Well, I think it's it is absolutely true that you know rates of uh, anxiety and depression are just sort of skyrocketing in young adults. Um, the demand for services at the college counseling center were always um, we were always full or or on a wait list. And to me, that speaks to, like you said, sort of a, a greater need among not just young people. I mean, everybody. But I think, like you said there can be a certain kind of pressure. Um, I don't know if this is true for you, but turning 40, I feel like has liberated me from really caring about what other people think at this point in my life. It is kind of magic how when you, you cross the threshold, you're like, you know what, I made it this far. And um, yeah, I'm really not going to spend the energy in worrying about yeah. that stuff. Yeah, it is wonderful. I wish pe I wish women could experience this when they turn 20. 
<laughs> as opposed <laughs> to waiting 20 more years. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, there is something really liberating about becoming 40. Yeah, so I think the expectations and the pressures, and like you said, the, the social media comparison, it really kind of puts young adults into this pressure cooker. That coupled with the idea that the job market has been so difficult for people in recent years, I think contributes a whole lot to anxiety. So, I mean, I'm a firm believer that everybody should have some sort of, of education in emotional intelligence, because I think we're just not taught how to care for ourselves in that way. Um, and I think crafting could make a, a fantastic uh, addition to that sort of curriculum should one never exist. But I really think that it's wonderful to have a person like you in the craft community who has that that background. And I know it's I know you've made you're making an effort to kind of give people a, a forum to talk about um, how, you know, things that they're dealing with and how they're uh, crocheting in particular helps them. And can you talk a little bit about what you're doing on Facebook? Yeah, actually, just last week, I started a Facebook group. Uh, it's called Mobius Girl Crochet Nation. And the focus of the group is sort of twofold. Um, you know, on one hand, it's a place for crocheters and, and other crafters also just to share their work and to sort of, again, gain inspiration, get ideas, ask questions. Um, but I also wanted to make it a space where people could talk about maybe some of the ways that that crafting or crocheting has helped them through a difficult time um, and to, to perhaps provide support to each other also. Like I said earlier, I think the community aspect of it is one of the most um, important benefits when it comes to really trying to use crochet or crafting uh, as a means for feeling better in your life. And so my hope is to, to grow the community and to um, build a space where people can feel free to talk about um, maybe stuff that's going on in their lives. It's a closed group. And, you know, I do that on purpose to kind of be able to screen a little bit. Um, and so far, it's a very delightfully engaged group of people. So people can pop in and um, just kind of share what they want to share. And, and then, um, you know, also share, uh, are people also sharing just patterns and like projects and things that they're making or is it focused more yep. on? Okay. So it's that good mix. That's awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it, you said you only started that last week. Is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and already, I mean, is it grown pretty big? I, you know, there's probably 150 people. That's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, uh, it's nice to have the exposure on Instagram, then to be able to kind of draw some people together. I've found too, that I like to think that crocheters are special in some way that in my experience, I've, I've yet to come across an unsupportive crochet on any kind of social media. Um, and so I think there's this level of trust that can be built up really quickly in a way that it wouldn't otherwise be in a community that's more mixed. So have you gotten your children into crocheting yet? Um, I've tried. My son is is sort of a designer in his own right, but his medium is um, rainbow loom bands. Oh, he yeah. Been yeah. Obsessed with them probably for the past four years now and started off, you know, making the bracelets um, and then moved on to um, like making small characters. So you can and it's essentially crocheting, but on a loom. 
Yeah. With rubber bands. Um, but he makes these fantastic like dragons now. He's designing a um, Chinese Zodiac set. Oh my goodness. Wow. And these are his own patterns, his own designs? He takes inspiration from ones that there are a bazillion YouTube tutorials. Right. On how so to he's make just kind of doing his own thing inspired by that. Yeah. Kind of riffing off of those. Yeah. 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 Well, he might have a book. He might be coming out. There might be a book next to yours on the shelf there. Um, <laughs> right. Or maybe, maybe the next section over with the, like, you know, it's a combination of like looping things together and kind of some weaving and kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's really cool. My daughter really just loves to, be involved when I'm crocheting. So she wants to hold the hook and have me sort of guide her hand through. Oh, um, that's so precious. She, she trims a lot of my ends for me and um, yeah, likes to be involved in that way. I hope to, to be able to teach her soon. She's five now too. So it's good to, good to hear that, that one can learn at five given your experience. But before I let you go, is there anything that I didn't ask you or that we didn't talk about that you would like people to know? I don't think so. I mean, it, it's been such an honor to be able to talk about my book and to talk about some of the other areas of my life that have influenced my work. Um, it's always fun to be asked the questions because then it makes you reflect on it in a way that you might not have otherwise. So I appreciate that. A special thanks to Sandra for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. I hope you folks at home did too. I'll be back soon with another episode. I am on kind of summer break now from teaching. I'm still advising the student newspaper this summer at the community college where I am an adjunct, but my workload is a little bit lighter this summer, which is great because my Etsy shop has been going kind of bonkers lately, which is wonderful. Thank you all for ordering looms and keeping me busy. I appreciate that. So as I'm managing my growing loom business and my desire to do more writing and podcasting, I'm making some plans and I hope to share more about those on future episodes. Before I sign off, I want to thank my Patreon sponsors for helping keep the show going. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you all for just listening. I I really appreciate that too. It's wonderful to have an audience for uh, a show I really enjoy producing. And I guess one thing I will do is before I sign off, I, I will ask a question. I'm As I'm planning uh, where to go next with the podcast and video content and reporting and writing and things that I have a desire to do more of, I'm curious about what you guys would like from me. So some of you have been listening for a really long time, and I really appreciate that. And bless you. You were there for the early episodes, and those were a little rough. <laughs> I've come a long way, and um, NPR still isn't calling, but, you know, that's all right. I definitely have improved since my first podcast back in, like, 2006. So I appreciate those of you who've been there the whole time. And I'm interested in hearing from all of you, not just the veteran listeners, but people who are new listeners, what are you interested in having me podcast about, uh, report about, write about? You can reach me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. It's probably the best way to reach me. And you can just put in the subject line, craft sanity suggestion. With all that said, I'm going to go ahead and record the intro and exit for my next podcast, because that one's ready to go too. I, well, at least the interview is done and edited. I just have to do that that part of it. Yeah, and I want to get that one out to you soon as well. So I'm going to get on to that. I hope it's sunny and lovely where you are today and you have some time to do a little crafting and can kind of 
unwind and process the day. So I'm sending good vibes to all of you. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at craftsanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsanity.etsy.com. Same time next